Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Two very different food writers, both alike in dignity, in fair New York City, where we lay our scene. Today, Savor's Max Falkowitz joins me to compare and contrast our food and love stories in the final interview of our Me and You series, it's Monday, July 31st, and this is Love Bites Radio. Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. I'm one of your hosts, Jacqueline Raposo. I'm 36 and single, and you can find me as at Words Food Art. And I'm your other host, Max Falkowitz. I'm happily unattached, and you can find me as at Max Falkowitz on Twitter. Hi, Max Falkowitz on Twitter. <laughs> Welcome to Heritage Radio, my it's friend. so good to be here. It's so nice to have you here. I'm very excited. So, listeners, this is our last interview in our Me and You series this summer of 2017. And uh, I've titled this For the Love of Food Media. And here is the bio that my friend Mr. Falkowitz sent me to read. Max Falkowitz is the senior digital editor of Saver and the co-writer of the Dumpling Galaxy cookbook. That's it. He's <laughs> a very... So you are so much more than that to me, though. Max, you are... I've worked with you now for, for several years. And it's been five years for now. Five years now, uh, starting at Serious Eats. And we have had many a dosa and a tea session together and trips between all over Manhattan and Flushing and Sunnyside and... You are just, you are a, a lovely food friend, darling human. So today, uh, we are going to pick each other's brains about your, me for you as an editor and you for me as a freelancer, because they are two very different worlds in food. They're, they're different worlds, and I feel like it's something that has characterized our knowing each other since Completely. we've known each other, because I don't think we've had a drinking session without bitching about this no. at some point. Yeah. Cookies and Xanax and tea. Yeah. I feel like those have been the, the three balancing pillars of our conversations around those things. Yeah, very yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's been it's a it's a rough I mean it's a rough time for everyone. Yeah, for right yeah. For I, both of us are having issues 
with being food writers right now. So we're going to talk about that. You're going to interview me and I'm going to interview you. That's how the Me and You series works. So let's rock, paper, scissor, and then the winner gets to choose whether they ask or answer first. Ready? Okay. And you've only got one arm. So listeners, Max has got his arm in a sling from a fractured shoulder. So um, and he looks very endearing right now. <laughs> Ready? Rock, paper, scissor, shoot. Ha ha, I win. All right. Yay, I've always won. And I always stick with, well, I'm not going to tell you guys what I stick with because I've always won with it. Well, then it's the... <laughs> I'm going to ask you first. Okay. Since you are my guest. Okay. So, Mr. Falkowitz, um, one of the things I actually adore about working with you is that I feel like we have very, we have somewhat different perspectives on how we even look at food and what we adore about food and the stories we get to tell with and about food. So walk me through you how you approach a food story from the start as an editor. When you think about a story that you want to tell, especially as a, as a, as a writer as well, but somebody in a position of power with a publication, what question do you want to answer with a piece or how do you go about it? Like what's, what kind of stories excite you? Well, a lot of it is, is opportunistic that when you're when you're on staff and you're a, you're a writer and an editor, you're mostly in the position of filling holes that other people aren't able to fill, and you're mostly plugging. Really, it's more like plugging leaks on filling holes and plugging leaks. Yeah, it's more like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't eaten yeah. and I've had like a quarter of a drink. It's yeah, it's really Sorry. more like um, you're in the galley of a ship and it's constantly getting shot with bullet holes and you're trying to plug all of them at once. So oh, you're, okay, you're I get really, what you mean. You're really yeah, it's not about stopping everything you see. That's really not the image of what food editors actually do all gotcha. day. Gotcha. Um, so it really is about what needs to get covered at a certain time and and, and what I think for, for for better and for worse, what how that's affected me as a writer is that it forces me to immediately think about a subject, not just in terms of its innate worth, but in terms of how it's going to fit a certain audience and a certain program that's going on at a particular time. So rarely am I thinking about ideas now just because I like them. It's I, I see something and I think, oh, this is worthy. This is immediately... And then the next immediate thought is how can this fit into something else that mm. needs to get done? How so, far ahead do you have to think in that context? Uh, it really varies. So some of it is within the next... You know, Some of it's three hours from now some oh, of wow. it is two days from now some of it's six months from now and we we have in online media you're juggling all of those things at once because sales schedules are moving six months ahead of you but you're operating on a daily pub sched and it's it's always and you're planning out features a few months ahead of time so you're always um you're all you're always juggling a few different timelines at once so and i think i think honestly it's it's really helpful to have that um it's really helpful to have that that constant thrum because it gives me. I mean, I, I know that you and I have talked about this in all of our edits. That for me, the term "sense of urgency" is really mm. the most important aspect of really any story. That like at the end of the day, what does someone want? They want to be told a story, and they need to be told that story matters. And this is something that I learned from Don Moss, who's a literary agent who handles mostly genre fiction. But I think it's so applicable to really all all media of all kinds, but especially lifestyle media, that you need to. You need to tell someone why this is worth their attention and why this is worth their time. And when we're pu when we're putting something out online, we have to the, the the bargain we make to maintain our credibility is this this is worth your time. That this is worth the opportunity cost of you not spending your time on something else. So if I'm thinking about this is interesting to me, that's fine that it's interesting to me. But why is it interesting to you? And why is it why does it matter to you? 
and that that forces me to to, to really think up front of what what how do how do we make this matter? Mm-hmm. Um, the downside of that is that it it it, it, it it reduces your ability to free associate a little. It's hard to just think in a vacuum and let an idea develop. And those tend to be personal projects that you never really get time to do. Um, but what kind of personal project do you feel? Because I've, I've seen your office and I've, and I've seen how other offices work. They're little hives of a lot of bodies moving. And I think one of the things that we talk often about in the arts right now, especially with social media and with so many digital platforms running content constantly, is not having the quiet time to sit and think and develop ideas, which is very different in my world where I can build in as much time as I want to sit and think. What ideas do you wish you had more time to stew upon? Well, they're ones that really don't fit into they don't fit into timetables and they don't fit into a pub skit or they require me to be away from a computer for a week or a month or half a year at a time to really let develop or they'd be pro- projects that would take a long time to develop on the sidelines. Um, it's really about you're, you're always on the clock and it's, it's, it's a, I think it's, it's a different, it's, it's really two sides of the same coin I think with freelancers and that it, the way that I imagine freelancing is that your time is your own, but that means you never have off hours and, mm. As as an editor, your your time is is your your your, your brands, but right. yeah, but you're 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 always building the next thing. So it's they they get they they churn slowly, and for I've been lucky that the projects that I've wanted to work on, they take the time that they need to take, and they've been able to go. But it it uh yeah, I mean it comes at a cost of a certain amount of creativity. But I'm happy with the way that it propels me constantly forward, and I'm never able to just stew on something aimlessly do you feel like that increases um anxiety and tension in it for you as a as a writer and editor do you feel like working in the fast-paced environment you have that your writing and your personal energy feel sort of amped up to a degree you don't like or do you feel like you sort of and by rising to the occasion you you enjoy it oh i'm such an adrenaline junkie when it comes to this i i can't I build into my writing process time to twiddle my thumbs until I get to the night before deadline. My best work has happened between the hours of 11 a.m. and 2, 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. And it's always the night before a deadline is set or before a story has to go live. And it's like something switches, like a switch flips, and suddenly everything just clicks out. But I need to get to that point of urgency. I need to develop that sense of urgency for myself for it to really happen. And you get kind of addicted to that. Right. Interesting. Huh. Okay. So when you're working with someone like me, who is so the opposite of so many things you just said, um, like I, I, this makes so much sense to me compared to how we've worked in the past. Like I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I like time. I honestly don't care half the time about urgency in a piece. I just want to talk about why people are awesome and doing, um, excellent things. Like how do you combine, how do you take, all of those things you just said and apply them to somebody else's work as an editor. When, when something comes in and all of a sudden you have to, in a short window, critique it and push it along. How do you, do you attempt to take a step back first? Like what's your process when a piece comes in? Well, the process is really, you start banging out as many details as you can before the piece comes in and any editor worth their salt should have a much longer discussion before the story comes in and while the writer's still developing it and thinking about it, then um, 
than they do afterwards so that there there shouldn't be any surprises when the writer files and that what i find and do i do do am i able to do that all the time absolutely not and i know for some of our stories that's certainly not been the case i think only um, i think we've only canceled one out of all the ones yeah. we've done together i think we've only cut one but it, it, it yeah, it's, it's really you you want to give i mean really the, the job i think the job of editing is to give structure you build you build a house for the writer and let the writer fill it and you 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 give your expectations up front and you say like this is what I think is important from this. You know, you're going to write this, it's going to change, but the first draft of any story is the one where it's the writer just building their ideas and the second and third round revisions are where those things really start to crystallize. And the most common common revision I make with a writer with pretty much all pieces of writing is you move the last paragraph up to the front. And good to know. it's really because it's that it's only when they get to the end do they really um, do they really get what they're trying to say. And if the writer's really good, they'll have done that work for you already. But most Note writers, yourself. most writers don't. Right. Um, and I certainly, I certainly don't. I make my editors do it for me. <laughs> um, so it, it it's really you want to set clear expectations ahead of time and. Then when a story comes, I mean, when a story comes in and you're working with a writer, it's real. I mean, the, the 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 challenging kind of manipulative aspect of of editing is that you're you're trying to coax them to to be the best versions of themselves. You're trying to have them see what you see in them, but you're also trying to pull exactly what you need out of them, and you're trying to do it in the most efficient way possible while also managing a bunch of other fires. So. It's it's really like how like what, what's the most efficient way to get this writer to to, and what's what's the most effective way to get this writer to appreciate my priorities while also seeing that this is best for them and how do you, and it's about for for me it's a process of of, of balancing what what they need to get out of it with what I need to get out of it. Have you found any um, ways that that has worked the most cohesively with writers? Like, have there been relationships where like oh this is you know, the most symbiotic way that this relationship can work because of the response you get back. Any, yeah, it's time. It's, it's, I'm, I'm very picky about the writers that I work with. Um, and there's writers that I'll work with once and writers that I really want to work with again and again. Well, what are the writers that Uh, work that you work with again and again? What do they do? Right. Um, they're, they're open, they're conscientious. I mean, what I look first and foremost for in a writer is someone who is content. Talent isn't in my, as as far as I'm concerned for online writing, talent is not the number one thing that, that you need to worry about. If they're, they're talented but they don't care then they're going to turn in work that's fine for them but it's a job and it's done um what i'm looking for is someone who cares enough about the story and cares enough about the idea that they're willing to see it through and willing to see willing willing to put in extra work to make that happen so the ones that the ones that care generally the ones i i I try to speak on the phone with writers about complicated stories like these um had a lot of conversations with people in sri lanka and in Hong Kong, where one of us is staying up in the middle of the night to do it. Um, but you need to build in that time and understanding and report. It's really like building any kind of other relationship, right? That you need to put yourself out there and you need to hear them. You need to really, and you need to give them an opportunity to be heard too, rather than just a back and forth transaction of these are the terms of the contract. Speaking of some of the places you just mentioned, uh, you so you grew up in Flushing. Forest Hills. Forest Hills. Sorry. You grew up in Forest Hills. Grew up in Forest Hills. Forest Hills. You grew up in Forest Hills in a very um, diverse part of New York City. And you've traveled to Asia several times. It's sort of your 
your shtick, for lack of a better word, that region is sort of your shtick. So what has traveling and working with writers, especially at Savor, it's sort of this very worldly publication where you do get to work with writers from around the world and explore the world, sort of the idea of eat the world. So what has that, um, what have those interactions and that travel brought back into your life as a writer and editor, particularly that you might not have gotten otherwise? Well, it's, it's hard to say about where I've gone versus the act of just going somewhere and the act mm-hmm. of, of getting working with people outside of your initial frame of reference. Um, I mean, the, 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 the backstory behind it is that when I was growing up in Queens, almost none of my friends were white and most of them were East Asian. And those were just the, those were just the people I grew up with. And we all had single, yay for New York city. And we all had single moms and all Mm. the moms kind of adopted each other. And we had this deal where my friend whose mom was from Hong Kong, she'd bring us congee. We'd give her muscle ball soup. Sometimes it was like, Picture perfect, Yay. picture perfect New York. The way the world should be. Um, and so, so part, so really, it's that 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 desire to to learn more about those places is just because it's part of w- what I grew up with and part of what, um, the you know there were aspects. You know, I, I I got lessons in how to learn chopsticks the same time that I learned how to ride a bike, and I, you know, would do onsens with a friend of mine while you know we were um making katsu at at their at their house and that was just sort of what growing up was so it it, i I won't say it's it's not my heritage at all but it was it was a part of my life and it was a part of my life that i wanted to keep exploring and i think that's given me having some of that early background with um some second and third generation families in in new york it, it gives it gives you some just general cultural understandings for um for when you're going abroad and you're doing your reporting and it just helps, you know, it helps with, um, like you know, to give you one specific example, Chinese, in Chinese, Chinese cooking, like dried shrimp is like kind of meat, but it's like, it's really like salt. It's really like, it's not like meat, you know, if, and if a vegetarian said, I don't eat meat, they'd say, okay, well, there's the, you know, some of them, you know, China's a country with a billion people, but a lot of people might say, well, you know, it only has dried shrimp in there. It's not really meat. And and it helps to have that understanding going in to, to um and there's just a lot of little cultural nuances that you know the more the more background you have there the the better and so what what I love about the the, the people that I get to work with is, uh, and whether you know where, wherever they live is that they 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 share that same objective of they want more of that cultural background and understanding and a lot of the people I know in this business are in this business because they want to learn and they want to absorb and they just they want to get a, a broader familiarity with with the world around them and with more cultural context and that, that, that shared mission, I think um, the people who have it and the ones who aren't just viewing it as a transaction or as a tool to further develop themselves. um, There's a level of, of, of other directed interestedness that, that I think is important to cultivate. I'm getting all dreamy eyed with you Falkowitz right now. That was beautiful. Um, So speaking of, of people and romance and the way my heart is fluttering right now, Uh, we are at, at our core, we are still a love and relationship show. And I know that the further I've gone in the food field, in some ways, in some ways it makes it easier with food outside of it, with dating, because, you know, you're just sort of like, if the person doesn't know a lot about food, you give them a lot of leeway. But at the same time, on the flip side, like I know I have my own rules for dating as far as like if... A guy calls himself a home chef. I just hate the term home chef, so I just like swipe left. It means nothing. It It means means nothing. nothing. It's an oxymoron. It just swipe left. Um, Do you have like how how does your work with food? Because people eat, and New Yorkers are food people. 
um, dates happen at bars and restaurants. So how does your work with food, does it make you more of a food snob with dating or how does it do you, like, how does it play into your romance? Yeah, I, I try to keep them separate as much as possible. Just it, it, it helps to have some boundaries and some rules. Do you have a fun um, story to share? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I'll, come on, was, shares okay. on the juicy. Come on. Uh, well, it's not juicy so much as just sad. And it makes okay. me come All right. off or as sad. kind of or an sad. asshole. That's, no, don't come off um, as an asshole. We've been but, talking seriously. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was I was on this date with someone, and um, and we were we were at this uh, we were at this 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 little Korean bar in Koreatown because mm-hmm. my my office is in Koreatown, and I selfishly suggested a place right near me because I wasn't. Wasn't having that great expectations of it going in, but I thought, "What the hell?" Yep. And um, they didn't—they didn't know what kimchi was, and, <gasps> and I, I, I just—I mean, you know, like, like that's fine, that's fine, but it's really hard to. No, you know. I just had the same problems. When he's like, "I don't like kimchi," and I was like, "Because yeah. I asked you if you like Korean food," he's like, "I don't like kimchi." I'm like, "You can't just not like kimchi. It's not like it's not like one thing. Yeah. It's not like." one thing and, and so have what you have tried you, it right have you tried yeah. more than one kim did you just get kimchi once he's like oh it was on some taco in arizona i was like that wasn't kimchi yeah then. so what yeah. did you do well i mean yeah we, we had one date and i ended it as quickly as i could they didn't get the message but you know then, then we yeah so i, I mean it, it what i find is that it, it's it's helpful shorthand that if people are, are interested in learning about food they're they're interested in learning about others and there's that same level of other interestedness and uh, and if and if you know if food's not a big part part of their life, that's that's absolutely fine. What I, one of my one of my best relationships, um, the my partner didn't care at all really about food. I mean, they, they enjoyed it, but that was sort of it. And um, it it was really it was fine because they they were willing to be interested in my fascination with it, and I was completely uninterested in what they were really passionate about, but we were willing to be fascinated. We were fascinated by each other's fascination. Yeah. And that's that's what I really look for in a partner right now is you don't need to love food. You don't need to be in it. I would prefer you not be in it, frankly. Right, right. But... I, I want you to be interested in why I'm interested in it, and I, right. want, and I want to feel the same way about you. Love it. Wonderful. Well, we are going to take a break, and then we'll come back and turn the tables. But before we do, a reminder that this is the very last day of our summer membership drive here at Heritage Radio, and there's no better day because if you type www.heritageradionetwork.org into your browser and click on that beating heart right now, your donation will be matched by an anonymous benefactor. So thank you for helping us keep excellent food and lifestyle radio on the air this summer. Yes, you can always donate to Heritage Radio, but if you're listening live and have been waiting to pledge do so today we're always available to you as at love bites radio and via email as lovebites at heritage radio network.org so hit us up anytime and we'll be right back Chef Eric from Robertus Radio. I love eating pizza for every meal, but sometimes I've got to branch out. Bob's Red Mill makes some stellar breakfast foods. Hey, Eric, the food in your big, bright, beautiful breakfast bowl looks delicious. Thanks. It's muesli. Muesli? Nah, muesli. It's like raw granola. You should try it. Uh, I don't know. My rich daddy buys me quail eggs and foie gras for breakfast every morning. Well, let me hip you on to something else. Did you know Bob's Red Mill is the flagship sponsor of Heritage Radio Network? I bet you if we call Bob himself, he can convince you. 
Hi, Bob here. Wait, is this the man from the muesli package? Yes, I'm Bob Moore. How can I help you? Uh, hey there, Bob. This is Eric from Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Mike, who I'm trying to convince to try muesli. Oh, I love muesli. Muesli such an easy way to start the day. I can take a bag of muesli and munch on it in my car and get full whole grain nutrition for everything I need for at least half the day. That is incredible. But what the heck is in the muesli anyway? It has rolled oats, uh, rolled wheat, rolled barley, rolled triticale, and, uh, of course, our dried fruits and the seeds that are so important to our health. It's one of my very, very favorites. After Bob's glowing recommendation, you going to try it? Like they say, try it. You'll like it. All right. Let me at that muesli. By the way, you can find more delicious whole grain breakfast ideas at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. I'll check that out. I'll surf over there. Surf on over, dude. Oh, my God. I love Bob so much. I think you should date Bob. I think I need to find out if Bob has any single gentleman relatives (laughs) or any of the Red Mill family single. (laughs) Hit me up. Love Bites at (laughs) HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right. So we are back. And Mr. Falkowitz, I sit here ready your body is ready? My body okay. is <laughs> Don't, Max, I have to impress my new boyfriend. <laughs> Bob's Red Mill. <laughs> well, while Gentleman we're... somewhere out there in the universe. He's, right. he's mature. He's, he's mature. well-rounded. He's, he's good he makes great muesli. I've been using his products since like the early 90s when I first came off this gluten crap. I mean, uh, I'm a fan. God bless. I'd be I'm a fan. Um, well, well, as long as we're on this squishy emotional emotional topic. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I, what I really want to know about, about you as a writer is, okay. is, is, um, is the emotional labor that you put into your work. So that, that <laughs> for <laughs> that, that as you know, as when, when I'm editing you, I get a very narrow window into you know, who, who you are. And when I work with any writer, I have a very narrow window and you, you know, you peek into this tiny pinhole into mm. their soul. Um, and we have the advantage of seeing each other outside of those interactions. But, right. um, but like what, what, what do, in, your, in your work is so personal and it's about taking, it's about harvesting pieces of other people's souls. You're kind of like a, like a transitory soul vampire in a way that you're, <gasps> you're harvesting other people's souls and you're combining it with your own I and you're giving you it to the world. I love you give me titles. You called me Chef Whisperer years ago and now I'm going to steal transitory soul vampire. Yeah, it's really, it's a vampire. We'll, we'll work on that analogy, but... but okay, because I put these in my Twitter handles, so good. we're going to work on that after the show, yeah. But, I mean, so you're, it's, there's a lot, and like that, that takes an emotional toll on, on your work and then you have to get it out and then, you know, the story goes and then you have to promote it like mad. What what does that look like for you, and how how do you manage that, and how does that affect the work that you do and the assignments that you decide to take? I think my biggest problem right now is finding, and and this has gotten actually harder in the past couple of years as um, I have fewer columns, and so I'm working. It, it's harder when I'm working with new editors that I feel very precious with the people I write about, and I actually consider them my clients more than the people I write for. I consider it almost me and the person I write about against the client, against the person I'm writing for. Like I'm loyal to the person I'm writing about. I get told a lot of things off record. I get told a lot of dirt that I never share. And that in a way is why people talk to me. 
And so when I have this big story of somebody's life to tell and then it gets sort of ripped to shreds or um, or especially when editors don't even give me a chance to work with them to figure out how it's going to work in the bigger picture of their publication. All of a sudden it just goes up and they've changed the words and then some things aren't even accurate or like you were saying before, like you, you set out, a, you, you've been my, uh, my favorite person to work with as far as developing a piece. Most editors don't do what you do with me. Most editors don't set clear expectations for this is what they want. And I'm trying to guess at their publication and where my piece is going to fit and what they want. No, I'm I'm completely serious. Like that's, that's my biggest critique of editors. I want you to tell me what you want and where this fits into your publication. Just like I give you samples of my work when I pitch a piece, give me samples of this is going, I want this to look somewhat like this piece because otherwise I have no idea. I'm, I'm working with all these different people. And especially if you know what, here's the kind, here are the kind of pieces that I do, but you really don't want that. You want something that's much more corporate or much more general, but I'm still writing about a human being that I really give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to figure all of this kind of stuff out. So when I turn in a piece, it's going to be as honest to the human being I'm speaking to, the person I'm, whose story I get to tell, so that I don't feel a huge loss by the time we my 300, 400 words get chopped or it becomes less of a personal story and sounds a little bit more corporate or it's more about the conflict in the story or the thing that's going to be clickbaity and not about the beautiful human who gave me their time and told me about their life. So that's honestly where the biggest emotional toll is coming for me right now as I try to land pieces. And then it's also, it wastes time. I'm trying to land pieces. I'm trying to figure out how to tell the best possible stories I can. And then I'm trying to give myself like pep talks to be like, this is just the way it is. This is public, you know, this is freelancing. This is the publishing world right now. This is media on a digital scale. Like it's sort of, it's a lot of, and then I'm also trying to figure out if the people I'm writing about care as much as I do about the (laughs) stories I'm telling. Maybe I think about it too much. You Mm -hmm. know, it's a lot of breathing and letting go Mm -hmm. and just doing the best I can. And, and what are your sources of support when you're working with editors who are assholes or maybe they're not, but you're still mad at them anyway? Uh, how, do, how, do you, how do you stabilize yourself and ground yourself in terms of when they give you edits you don't like or there's a change in something that you need to now reabsorb? How, how do you what's what's the work like to make that work for you? It's funny that you mentioned like the time pressure and the crunch and you working well under that. Um, I find that I need to walk away from the computer. Like I realized this year that sometimes I put too much of a time crunch on people I work for that. I assume that there's, it's really hard because we work through these machines. We don't, a lot of people don't talk on the phone. I've never seen a lot of the people I write for. I've never met them in real life. We're figuring each other out via words on a screen or on a phone. And that's completely subjective, you know, like completely. And so I've learned, that especially this year, that if I get edits, I don't respond to the same day. I read them. I get upset or angry if I'm going to get upset or angry. <laughs> and then I go walk my dog or I cook my food or I watch my Gilmore Girls or I do whatever silly thing I need to do. And that I only respond when I'm in a good mood. Because otherwise, I'm going to take them to heart rather than being like, okay, great edit can we meet in the middle or I just, or for some people, I just accept it. Even if I think it's the, even if I don't like it, I it's choosing my battles. And there are a couple clients right now that I'm just like, you know what? I completely disagree. So I'm going to finish this contract and then I'll move on and I'll finish this one and then I'll move on. Like I can't, you can't care 
I, I can't care as yeah. much as I want to. That makes me sad, but that's the gig. So I preserve, I, I lock away my interviews in my heart and my time with my people. And, but this is what I've chosen. I've chosen to be a freelancer. So you weren't always a freelancer. And in another life, you were an actress. You were a right. web commercial spokeswoman. <laughs> but I was technically a you freelancer edu- doing that. You were, but you were an educator. You right. were working in all these personal media. Yeah. media and now you're, you're principally a writer and you're principally an mm. online storyteller. Mm. And the way you're describing this sounds a lot to me like non like non monogamous long distance dating yeah. uh, and and so and and that the, your your develop like the the relationships that you have to develop and the way you reach compromises with writers sound the way that one reaches a lot of compromises with lots of partners right has this affected the way that you perceive dating or the way that you're approaching your personal life now that's a really well. I feel like it's all connected. Obviously, I mean, I if anybody listens, if if anybody listening has listened to the show more than once, like everything is personal, everything is intertwined. Um, I think it's a constant battle for to be a genuine person and an authentic person. I'm trying to figure out how to tell the most honest stories I can about whether it's their essays about myself or stories about other people, um, and I. Th- think uh both personally and professionally it's about also expressing gratitude when you really love working with someone like i i love working with some of my clients and editors and i think especially with editors when you appreciate the relationship it's about pointing out that you have like when (laughs) including editors who email me back or give me you know i Love my editor at Tasting Table right now who sent me a Google Doc saying, hey, I just put all of the the pieces that we had. And this is one of my longest running columns right now. I just put all of the pieces into a doc so that we know what we have running for the next six months out. That's something that I've done before. Like she just did that and shared it with me. And I really appreciate that because we're working six months out. And the fact that she just did that. She's we're on the same page anytime that we're organizing together and responding to emails and being on top of things together. Like you're six months that. out with an online daily. Yeah. Oh, she must love you. She's well, that's how I would work in general. Like I would love to do that with more people. Like I am because I freelance. I need to know that I have money coming in, <laughs> you know, like I meet deadlines and I like to like, otherwise I, that's all I, I freelance. Otherwise I make nothing. And it's scary and it's stressful. So if I have a column that's been running for three years, I would like to know that it's that it's scheduled for a while out. So it's thanking editors like you who actually work with me on pieces and make me a better writer. It's mm-hmm. when I work, I'm working with a new podcasting client who's making me a better storyteller. And she also is giving me a little, you know, mentoring advice now and then because she's done the freelance game. So it's with dating too. When you like somebody, you tell them you like them. And are there other kinds of support that you wish your editors slash non-romantic life partners? These are two very different things, Valkyrie. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't what, talk what, to gentlemen like I talk to my editors. What, what, how would you, what, what other forms of support would you like your editors to give you? Um, Basically, would, tell us how to do our job better. Uh, tell me what you want. If you, if, if you have pieces that you want written, just assign me pieces. Like, you know what I can do. So if you have pieces, like think of me when you have pieces to be written. Um, if if I come up with an idea, email me back. You know, so don't make me nag you because then I feel bad that I'm nagging an editor. Um, if I if you give me a deadline, 
and then two weeks later, I'm like, hey, did you get my piece that I turned in by deadline? Don't say like, yeah, I'll get you notes two weeks from now. Because you like now I know like, oh, you're not looking at it until a month after you gave me a deadline um, for a piece going up three months from now. Like I get that you have a schedule, but so do I. So it's just like transparency, communicate. And then when you do communicate, communicate respectfully. And then let me know like how your publication works, because I'm trying to figure out how 20 publications work. And if you don't tell me, I can't guess like just like you get a tiny window into my soul with my writing. I'm trying to get the magnanimity of your publication. And so if, and if something changes, like if all of a sudden the piece that I'm writing about changes, ep, you know, issues. And so all of a sudden it's not going into an issue about contemporary pastries in Europe. And now it's going into an issue about classic pastries in Europe, whatever. I just made that up. But like, if the whole point of the issue changes, then my story is going to change. So don't let me continue to work on a story and then turn it in and be like, oh, this is great, but the issue changed two weeks ago. We just didn't tell you. Like, you know, keep people informed if they're providing you work so that I just didn't waste 20 hours of my time. I don't know. That seems like a really difficult concept. <laughs> right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So um, I think we're good for the questions, right? I think so. I think yeah. so. So let's play a very quick round of Would You Rather. Let's so listeners, we're gonna close our show with Would You Rather? Three questions: one about food, one about love, one about writing. Would you like to start, Max? Do you want to pick one? Yeah, I'll start. Okay. Um, food, dating, or writing? Food. Food. Okay. So, as someone who has built part of your hashtag brand on my hashtag what you, brand, what you can't eat? Oh yeah, I know. Uh, what huh. you know? If if you could, if you could give up, would you would you rather continue? the way that you're working now and use if it, would you rather having your same have your same dietary restrictions now or live in an alternate universe in which you didn't duh i would eat everything <laughs> <laughs> live in an alternate wait so that's the option eat, as like, in eat everything like but you wouldn't learn all the forms of resilience that you've learned now no, I would eat everything. <laughs> I would like that's yeah. Like if I had, I talk about this with friends with with food issues that like if the if the apocalypse came tonight, I would be eating greasy, cheesy New York City pizza and eating and finding the nearest friendlies and eating Reese's peanut butter cup sundays. That's what I would be doing <laughs> for the next six hours because after that, I because I'd be vomiting hardly and feel very sick. Yes, okay. Similar question for you. So, listeners, Max is. The biggest tea nerd I know and the ice cream whisperer. Two amazing things that I think you're equally passionate about. So if you could not do one of them for the rest of your life, would you rather give up ice cream for the rest of your life or tea for the rest of your life? Mm, um, ice cream. Really? It's bad for you anyway. It's and not it's, bad for you. It's, so it's, it's a creative endeavor. It's a good, fun, creative endeavor. Um, but, but tea has had a much bigger, deeper role in my life and without giving too much away, it, it, it's there, there's much more of a soulful connection to it and there's much more of a way to integrate it into everything that I do. Okay, I yeah. like that. Alright, next, writing. I'm going to ask you first. Go. Would you rather ghostwrite Kellyanne Conway's Tell All <laughs> me and for it get like a shitload of money, like enough to buy like, you know, a house and vacations, but that's your life's work. No more, no more food writing for the soul. Like that's that's your work, or you write the perfect tea book that fulfills your inner workings, and you're proud of it. 
but nothing much changes about your life. You've just written this book. It's, you know, middling. It just does what most food books do. Which would you rather? Hmm. Um, I think it has to be the tea book. Um, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I haven't, I haven't ghostwritten. I've collaborated on books and it's, it's a really, it's an exhausting exercise. Um, and you don't, you don't put yourself through that until, unless you're, you don't, you don't put yourself through that unless you're, you're really going to be proud of the work that comes, comes out of it. I think about but so much money, like you could buy a yacht. Yeah. Donald Trump's ghostwriter had this exact Proustian dilemma and yeah. regrets his decision of writing the art of the deal because he, he, he he's taking, he's written um, an apology, I think in the New Yorker for, for taking, and he's taking responsibility for creating this monster. Oh, I hadn't thought about that aspect. And, of it, and while it would be a lot of fun money. to write things in such a way that they would totally sabotage Conway, um, I think it would just go over most people's heads. And she honestly, through her gnat like persistence, I think is oh. one, of, one of the most admirable. Yeah, you'd like stick a pencil you know, in your ear on day two. You'd yeah. just be. Yeah, it'd be, it really is. She, she, she's, she's a fascinating character. Um, I would love to profile her. I would yeah. love to profile We're her. like the onion version of her book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of similar, similar for you. If, if you, if, you know, there, there's a chef who we've talked about who, um, who we won't mention by name, who you've worked with before and who was absolutely <gasps> awful to you. The, oh, so listeners, there's only been one chef in my history that I had to email Max for my call and be like, did I write the asshole out of him because I will never work with him again? Mm-hmm. We're still going to publish this. But he was horrible. Now, if he was your ticket to stardom, to, 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 into, to financial independence... To <laughs> to getting your own book out of it, would you be willing to sign on as as his general collaborator, lieutenant on future projects? Oh my god, you picked him! Of course, you picked him. I would have said no to anybody else. <laughs> um. Oh. Damn it. Oh. Can I just not answer this question? <laughs> Can next I? next week with Ben, you have to give them your answer. <sighs> he was a horrible human being. I've edited him out of conversations from other chefs. That's how horrible a human being he was to me. Yeah, I think that... The, the, but the, at the same time, like, I just got my health care back for tomorrow, and I need to pay for it. And I have a messy disease that I would love to have the money to get rid of. Like, And maybe there's a Mr. Darcy thing about him. You know, I've been watching a lot of Pride and Prejudice the past couple of weeks. I don't know. He's not that cute. No, know. no, no. It's not. It has nothing to do with that. All right. I'm going to. Can I can I just sit on this? Yeah. All right. I expect an answer. Okay. okay. We'll come back. All right. Last one. Love. Mm-hmm. Would you rather fall madly in love with a vegetarian or a Republican? <laughs> vegetarian. Vegetarian's fine. I've, I've dated vegetarians i've dated more restrictive dining people it's a formal limitation that 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 produces creative excellence in the way that you cook and the way that you eat you are so eloquent oh, you should oh. write about food I'm just <laughs> um okay so if my would you rather for you um for those of you who haven't been looking at the new york times homepage for the last two hours um anthony the mooch is uh, ousted as communications director Aww. um 
So I have one What's question SNL for you. What's SNL going to do? I, don't, I mean, it's not like there's any other scandal-ridden parts really? of this administration. <laughs> I'm sure no more are coming. I'm sure we're... So, so my question for you oh, is God. mooch or spicy? <gasps> oh, that's so mean. <laughs> um, I'm just going to have mooch because I can deal with an obnoxious Italian more than I can deal with an angry white man. Really, honestly, I guess. Right? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. I know I know obnoxious Italians. Hey, hey yeah, you know I can de- I can I yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I'm a quarter Italian. I can shut that down. <laughs> I guess beautiful. But ugh, ugh. ugh. All right. <laughs> well, Max Valkowitz, thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here for joining thank us. You. I adore you, listeners. You can find more about Max at at Max Falkowitz and on LoveBitesRadio.com. There's a couple extra lines I've added to his bio, plus links to his uh, all his work at Savor. That is our show for today. Next week, Ben and I are back together to wrap up our Me and You series and our 2017 summer season. We will be live in the studio, so join us then. Until then, thank you to our engineer, David. I adore having you here, my darling. Our theme song is Give Love by Josh Dion. I am your producer and co-host, Jacqueline Raposo, and Love Bites. We'll be back at the same time next week right here at Heritage Radio Network. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 